brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Radical, fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, and individual rights. This is the Yaron Brook Show. All right, everybody, welcome. Welcome, everybody, to Yaron Brook Show. All right, so today we're going to do a little bit of a science experiment, medical experiment, right? Um, I, it is uh, six and a half hours since I got my second shot of the Moderna vaccine. Um, the, uh, all indications are from, uh, from people who've gotten the second shot that you could, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, side effects typically start around now <laughs> and um, can be anywhere from blistering migraine headache, fever and chills. Um, I have had nausea all day, so I've been, so that's, I got that immediately, but I got that after the first shot as well, so I might be atypical, so so science experiment is you're going to watch and we're going to see, right? Within the next hour and a half, two hours, we will see if I turn red and start sweating, sweating and, uh, you know, you might, you might see the fever. Um, 
and uh, we'll see what happens, right? We'll see what happens. No blood clots. I didn't take the AstraZeneca, although, of course, correlation is no causation, so we don't even know if the blood clots are related to AstraZeneca. Well, I think we'll find out tomorrow. The scientific review is going to be done tomorrow. But no, I got the Moderna. Um, I got the first shot exactly four weeks ago, so 29 days ago. Supposed to do it within uh, between 28 to 42 days. So that worked out perfectly. I got my second shot in Puerto Rico, even though I got my first shot in, um, in uh, California. And first, I said I, I had some nausea. I've got some nausea now, so I, I might be a little slow today. But um, other than that, first one was fine. Second one supposedly gives you a real kick. In the butt. So we'll see. You might actually experience. You might actually see the kick happening. We can we can describe it in real time. So um, uh, it uh, this should be uh, this should be interesting. All right. Hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, you guys are getting vaccinated. Uh, I know I, I I know there's a lot of um, hysteria, panic, uh, uh, confusion about uh, vaccination. But no, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Um, Amazing science, and um, it just it just it 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 increases increases safety and increases the probability that you will be fine and increases the probability that the virus will basically be mitigated will stop being an issue in our life and in our world and that is that is a uh, there's a huge upside. Alhadrida says that uh, there, there are no vaccines in Venezuela yet. Um, yeah, <laughs> good luck. Uh, it's going to be a challenge in Venezuela, I think, to get the vaccines. All right, we got a number of people here who've already got their vaccines, and that, um, and that is good. Um, I mean, JJ, uh, I mean, the statistics show it's a little less efficacious, effective, but you only get one shot, so there's a huge advantage to that. Um, so, you know, it's it's it looks like JJ in terms of results is about as good as um, Moderna Pfizer is after the first shot. And the beauty of all of those is basically after the first shot of Pfizer, Moderna, or one shot of J&J, the probability of dying from COVID drops to basically zero. So, uh, you know, nobody has... Nobody has died from COVID post-vaccine. Yeah. Um, uh, Wanda Freeman says, Amesh Adalja said it's, it is the same. Oh, wait. <laughs> I, not based on what I've read, but I'll, uh, I'll leave it to, uh, I'll have to have Amesh on and we can talk about it. If, it's not that important. The differences are not that big. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see. So I want to talk a little bit. We've been talking about California and San Francisco and California. And uh, <clears throat> I thought we'd talk a little bit more about California. I'm more and more interested about this topic of uh, progress, innovation, um, what drives it, uh, where we're heading, what we can expect in the next 10 to, to 25 years. You know, that's kind of uh, the the... The, my my horizon these days, 25 years. Um, and uh, so that should be interesting. Uh, 
Somebody said they didn't take it because Fagelin refused to get vaccinated. Yep. Uh, uh, a devout religionist refuses to get vaccinated. You should learn from that what? Uh, zero. zero. Did God tell him not to get vaccinated? Did his authoritarian rabbi tell him not to get vaccinated? What, what's science? It's not based on that, you can tell. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm interested in, 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 uh, in the whole what do we have to look forward in the next 25 years in terms of progress, in terms of technology, in terms of economic success. Um, and uh, so I want to, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that. I'm eager for you to ask questions about that. And uh, we'll do a lot more about it in the, um, uh, you know, we'll talk a lot more about it in the months and years to come because I think this is going to be a big part of, of the Iran Book Show is going to be uh, to look at issues surrounding progress and surrounding innovation and surrounding the positive in our culture, the plus, right? Stephanie, no, no, Stephanie, like, like so many, you place way too much importance on politics. Uh, the next 10 to 25 years, she says, likely depend on the next 10 to 25 weeks. Biden seems intent on utterly destroying the United States. I don't see Biden utterly trying to destroy the United States. I don't see anything he's done so far as destroying the United States. I mean, it's bad, but yeah, it's more bad on top of all the other bad um, uh, more along the same lines as we've seen in the past. And, um, yeah, one president is not going to destroy the United States. So the uh, same, same stuff was said about Obama. Um, it's just not going to happen. Not going to happen. The United States is not going to be destroyed by Biden. Anyway, I came across an op-ed by a leftist, by a... Um, uh, you know, one of these kind of intellectuals uh, who are clearly on the left. Uh, this op-ed was in the New York Times, where you'd expect it to be. And, uh, and, and, and we're talking about Ezra Klein. I don't know how many people follow Ezra Klein. But Ezra Klein is one of those, um, you know, center-left, uh, on economics quite, quite a bit to the left. He once participated in a debate um, with John Allison, uh, in uh, in New York years and years ago, some of you might have been there, and it was uh, it was interesting. Uh, he is he's debated Sam Harris. He he's he he loves statistics. He loves numbers. He loves studies. He loves drowning you in data. And um, but he's he he really believes in this stuff, or at least to the extent that you can believe in it, he believes in it. So, um, uh, you know, as a client is writing, and, and by the way, this story, this article is a reason to be mildly optimistic because what is the title of the, sto- the article? The title of the article is California is making liberals squirm. California is making liberals squirm. Liberals here fill in the blank for leftists. I don't like calling them liberals because I don't think they are for the most part, liberals, but California is making the left squirm. And this is the subtitle of the article, and this says it all, really. He says, if progressivism can't work there, i.e. California, 
why should the country believe it can work anywhere else? And to me, that's the key. The country, the United States of America, is not radical left. It's not extreme left. The United States of America is not a progressive country. America is not a leftist country. It voted for Biden out of all the Democratic choices because he was the most centrist, the most moderate, the least progressive. Biden can't be like FDR. He, ha- he doesn't have the ability. He never will be and can't get anything past Congress. Say so he won't be. And there's a number of Democrats in Congress that won't let him get away with a lot of this stuff. So the fact that the left is thinking about, huh, why isn't it working in California? The fact that the left is identifying California as their failure and recognizing that that failure will ultimately cost them nationally, cost them politically, cost them morally, is, I think, important to your sense of optimism about the future. Because if the left recognizes this, then the rest of the country is certainly going to recognize it. They're going to watch it. They're going to see the incompetence. They're going to see the failure. They're going to see all the stuff go nowhere. And the only thing that can sustain left victories in, on a national scale, the only thing that can sustain the left's victories on a national scale, is complete and utter incompetence and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, stupidity and, uh, and everything else and, and uh, adoration of Trump on the right. So the right is its own biggest enemy, just as the left, at the end, is the enemy for them to be successful. So what does he describe as this problem in California? Well, I mean, it's, it's pretty straightforward. He talks about the fact that California, school, the school board of San Francisco, for example, has spent the last few months deciding to rename 44 different schools, including Paul Revere School, because it is claimed that he participated in a raid on indigenous Americans. But he didn't. That's just made up BS. It was actually a raid on a British fort. So they just make up history. Or they renamed Lincoln School because Lincoln, turns out, was a racist. So he says, you know, this is absurd. Calif- the the, the uh, San Francisco public schools are closed. Students haven't been to school in a year. And... These idiots are worried about names of the schools. And they become, he says, a laughingstock of the entire country. And indeed, all this canceling stuff that's going on, the cancel culture, is not going to help the left. It's only going to hurt the left. People are going to look at this and say, really? This is nonsense. How many people in America actually think that Dr. Seuss should be banned? 
brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts, offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I mean, almost nobody. So it's a, it's a bubble in particular neighborhoods, in particular universities, in particular elites, in particular people who want a virtue signal and tell everybody, show everybody how good they are. But nobody takes it actually seriously, and nobody lives it. Indeed, nobody lives progressivism, which is a big argument that he makes here. Do you know, for example, in San Francisco, maybe the most leftist city in the U.S., you know, Portland, Seattle, San Francisco... Um, in San Francisco, right, uh, within the city, about 48% of the city is white. Right? Now, I don't know what the other, quote, colors are, because I don't think 52 are black, 52%. So my guess is a big chunk of the population is uh, are, uh, are Asians. But 48% of the population is white. But if you look at the number of kids, you know, the, the, the color skin of the kids who are enrolled in public schools, guess what percentage of public school kids are white? Right? These are whites who vote overwhelmingly for really far-left candidates for their city council and to run the city. How many of their kids go to public schools? Well, it turns out that only 15% of white kids are enrolled in public schools. Why? Because all these progressives, all these leftists, all these progressives and leftists send their kids where? Well, they send their kids to private schools. All these rabid defenders of public education, of renaming the schools, Right? These are exactly the people who want to rename the schools and support public education and more money for public education. And they all send their kids to private schools. They don't homeschool. No, there's no homeschooling. Indeed, the private schools in San Francisco have been open the entire pandemic, or mostly open. So, 
All these people who are advocates of closing public schools, advocates of the, of the teachers' union, advocates of renaming the schools, all send their kids to private schools. They put Bernie Sanders signs in their yards. They put pro-teacher union signs in their yards. And their kids are going to private schools. Right? Even the mayor of of San Francisco, you know, think what's going on with the schools is absurd. If you look at if you look at adjusted for the cost of living, California has the highest poverty rate in the nation. Remember, California has a Democratic governor, a Democratic Senate, a Democratic House. Indeed, they have a supermajority in the legislature so they can override any, any uh, filibuster. They have, they can basically pass whatever laws they want. Whatever laws they want. And as a consequence of passing all those laws, they have the highest poverty rate in the United States of America. California is a state that from 1950 to 1960, I think it's 1950, 1960, doubled its population. I mean, that's unheard of. That's just stunning. Stunning. And it wasn't from a small population and doubled. It's a massive increase. And yet today, uh, you know, loses about 130,000 people every year. So today, it has a negative migration. People are leaving California. Leaving California. It's a state with fires that the government cannot control and the government cannot stop, although ways to stop them and to control them exist, but they don't. It's a state that had rolling blackouts, even though it's embarked on electric grid modernization, they still can't provide enough electricity for the state. So even though for the left, this is a state dominated by Democrats, but it's failing. And people know it's failing. And people are leaving. And do people really want to take that failure and do it on a national scale? Do they really want to see California all over the United States when there is now a model? Of what happens when the Democrats control everything. Now, California is still rich. California is still an amazing place to live if you have money. And one of the reasons, I think, that the Democrats have lost kind of the working, working uh, people and, uh, you know, primarily get their support from the upper middle class and from the wealthy is exactly that. California is a pretty nice place outside of San Francisco to live. It's a, it's a fantastic place. It's productive. It's innovative. But then the government takes it, squanders it, 
destroys it through a variety of different acts. And even though California has some of the most robust welfare state in the country, redistributes a huge amount of money, in spite of all of that, still has the highest rate of poverty. But the poor people in California live far away from the middle class and the wealthy. So you don't have to notice them, other than where you have a lot of homelessness. California, somebody, I, I think I read, California has now, um, yeah, a quarter, 25% of all the homeless people in America are in California. And the question is why? And I think I answered this on a previous show. But two reasons. One, the cost of living is so high that a lot of people in California have lost their homes and therefore homeless. And the second reason is that the benefits are so good, good in quotes because it's not good for anybody, that people from all over the country who are homeless go to California to get the benefits. They're building homes for the homeless. Well, that's one way to get more homeless people. People leave their rental properties. People leave homes they can't afford and wait for the state or the city of L.A. to build homes for them. Indeed, one of the reasons, I mean, there are many reasons why California is such a mess. Uh, You know, most of them having to do with regulations and controls. But one of the big reasons for it is the cost of housing. The cost of housing is just absurd. And it's not a bubble. It's not a bubble. It's driven by the fact that there are very few homes being built. When Gavin Newsom ran for governor in 2018, one of the promises he made on the campaign trail was the construction of 3.5 million housing units by 2025. So far, less than 200,000 out of the 3.5 million. It's got four more years, and maybe you can ramp it up. But unlikely, California builds fewer than 100,000 homes a year. The demand far exceeds the supply. Land use laws, zoning, all kinds of not-in-my-backyard regulations prohibit the ability to build homes, all kinds of homes, and, of course, regulations that dictate what kind of homes can be built, make sure that low-income housing can't actually be built, not profitably, only the state taking a loss can build housing that is actually low-income because of the regulations how many bathrooms an, uh, an apartment has to have, how, how big the rooms have to be, and on and on and on and on and on you go. So indeed, a political party concerned about inequality, a political party concerned about poverty, a political party concerned about homelessness, is the governing party, the dominant, overwhelmingly dominant governing party, over a state that has some of the worst so-called inequality, worst rates of poverty, and the greatest homelessness problem in the entire country. They are complete and utter failures. And everybody can see it. 
What it illustrates is the extent to which progressives, progressive voters, vote progressive for particular politicians or political party. They talk progressive. They advertise progressive. They have it as a big label all over their stuff. And yet, they don't actually, on issue by issue, actually have a position that is progressive by their own standard. Adam says, Dr. Seuss is not banned, not even in the most leftist schools in California. Only six clearly racist books are discontinued. Dozens are still bedtime reading. So I, I disagree with you, Adam. For, uh, I mean, yes, you're right. They're not banned. Although eBay will not allow those six to be uh, sold and bought on eBay, even though they sell them by Mein Kampf. But more than that, the books are not racist books. They, might have, they have racist images, which could have easily been modified, could have easily been changed. The books themselves that don't have racist content in them. Unless what we count as racist these days is so watered down that it's meaningless. Um, and yeah, they're not banned. The publisher decided, the estate decided not to publish six of the books, and, and a bunch of people went nuts. But the hype around it, the virtue signaling around it, the amount of discussion that people are having around it is something that's going to turn off people from you know, this progressive wokeness. Uh, what am I doing? Okay. But, and it's, of course, you know, I have to say, it's unbelievably tragic. <laughs> You know, I know everybody loves to hate California, but California is like the best place in the world to live. It's got the best weather in the world. It actually has some of the best people in the world. It's got some of the best infrastructure in the world. It's an unbelievably productive place. Biotech technology and it's not just silicon valley it's biotech in in um, in san diego but not just biotech there's a whole chip industry in san diego and orange county the same thing and la has hollywood you might hate the movies in hollywood but y'all go see them and it's pretty amazing i mean i don't like la la is my least favorite city but orange county is amazing san diego is amazing and, and the bay area is silicon valley and Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause, 
Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should, too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Silicon Valley is stunning. It's got some of the best farmland in the world. Some of the most productive farmland in the world. Some of the best fruits and vegetables you can find anywhere. So it's super tragic. Because it's such a stunning, incredible place. Amazing place where most of the technology that has moved us forward in the world over the last 50 years has come from. Right. Let's see, we've got some California questions. Uh, California is choking on leftism. I know people paying 4K a month for one bedroom and have to step over homeless people every time they leave their apartment building. Yeah, in San Francisco and L.A., I mean, the homelessness problem is unbelievable. It's, it used to be bad in San Francisco 30 years ago when I lived in the Bay Area. And it's like 10 times worse now. 10 times worse. And L.A. is really, really bad and so on. On the other hand, it's got all these, this amazing stuff. Culture, technology, innovation, entrepreneurship, Amazing. Amazing people. Amazing stuff. Right. And again, some of the best scenery, some of the best weather, some of the best people. Anyway. Um, an underappreciated impact in homelessness is the centralization of urban planning. Something like a third of LA is occupied by stationary cars. Every house is built with a garage. Cars are a huge burden for the lower class, no? I don't understand why cars are a burden. Um, cars are cheap. If you can get a job, you can find a car. You can find a used car. You can find something to drive around. You can get a car for a few hundred bucks. Um, but, yeah, if you want to live in L.A., you're going to have to get a car. And you don't have to live in L.A. You can live somewhere else. Um, but if you want to live in L.A., you have to get a car. Now, it is true that cars do raise the cost of living, but not dramatically. The main impact of, central, of urban planning 
uh, on, on L.A. is the fact that you can't build. You can't build high, except in downtown. And it's very restrictive. And you can't build low-income housing. I can't emphasize that enough. And you, the amount of building that goes on is very, very, very limited. Look, if you own a house in California, you have a strong interest to limit the supply of housing. Because if you limit the supply of housing, the value of your house will go up. So people already in San Francisco, in L.A., and in San Francisco it's worse because they don't want housing because it'll block their view. So they don't want tall houses because it might block their view. Um, so urban planning is definitely the issue. I don't think cause of that big of an issue. Plus, L.A. has invested some in public transportation. I, I, I don't think... And, and, of course, don't forget, public transportation was a private venture in L.A. in the early days, and it failed when it was nationalized, when the city took it over. I mean, it would be interesting if we had public transportation that was private. Now that you've left California, is there anything you miss about California that's not available in Puerto Rico? Do you consider, do you consider will ever change to your liking to ever move back? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that I miss in California. A lot that I miss in California that is not available in Puerto Rico. Great fruits and vegetables. <laughs> Clean, well-lit, wide, modern grocery stores. Roads that don't have potholes. I mean, the roads in California and Orange County are fantastic. Fantastic. Um, generally, uh, you know, modern, modern, clean, wide, spacious, that doesn't ex- that's not Puerto Rico, right? That's not Puerto Rico. Uh, do you consider anything will change to your liking ever move back? Yeah, I mean, I would move back to California. I'd move back to California uh, at some point if, uh, you know, taxes were lowered significantly, if cost of housing went down because of increased supply, not because of artificially, then yeah. All right, let me just remind everybody uh, to like the show before you leave. We got 61 likes. Please press the like button uh, before you leave. Uh, that helps the algorithm. It helps everything else. If you're not a subscriber to the show, pl- please subscribe. It's, uh, you'll get notified when I go live, and you'll get um, all kinds of other goodies by subscribing. Of course, the most goodies you get is if you support the show financially on your onbookshow.com slash support or on uh, locals on... Uh, Patreon and subscribe to IC. I'm starting to lose it. I wonder. I don't know. It's hard to tell. It's hot in this room. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm getting uh, the, uh, the uh, Moderna fever or if I'm just hot because it's hot. And of course, uh, you know, once you start thinking you're supposed to get certain symptoms, you start getting those certain symptoms, right? So uh, who knows? Um, of course, you can use the uh, Super Chat not only to ask questions but to support the show. And, uh, you know, it'd be great if, um, yeah, it'd be great if you ask questions. The $20 or more question, get 
a, uh, a priority in terms of answering the show. The only problem with getting the Moderna fever for me is I've, I'm supposed to fly on Thursday. And whatever I get, I need to recover before Thursday so I can get on a plane and fly to Connecticut where I'm giving a talk on Friday. So that, that is the one challenge that I have with these uh, potential side effects that are here. Um, in California, urban planning and cars are synonymous. Cities in the 20th century were designed with a car as the dominant mode of transportation. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you could say that is a problem for poor people, but it's also a benefit for poor people because not only does it provide for, um, it provides for means of transportation and, and uh, it provides for means of, of, of getting to work that might be far away from them. But look, the whole way in which cities, this is a whole interesting issue that I don't think we've ever discussed, but a really interesting issue is the whole um, interstate highway system that was built by the federal government starting in the 1950s and on. And the real question is, what are the consequences of the interstate interstates of the highway system? Are they positive? In what way are they positive? Right? This is a government program that some of us who are capitalists don't believe the government should be involved in. We don't believe the government should be involved in building highways. But look how wonderful they are. Don't, don't we all enjoy driving on the interstate highways? I certainly do. So what do we do about, how do we explain all these interstate highways, right? And what impact they've had? Well, one of the impacts they've had is this point about the automobile, right? One of the impacts they've had is they've created the suburbs. Now, are the suburbs a good thing or a bad thing? Are the suburbs a good thing or a bad thing? Or by what standard? The whole way in which our cities have evolved, the size of the cities, the, the, the spreading out of the cities, have all been a consequence of the highway system. If you hadn't built highways, maybe we'd still be living more in mixed-use, densely populated city centers, unless in broadly dispersed all over the place, massive cities. Now, one of the reasons that government had felt like it had to build the highway system is because there was a real problem in transporting goods from different parts of the country. But why? Why couldn't we have used rail? Why couldn't we have used high-speed rail to move people around. Why did we never develop high-speed rail? Why are we so bad at moving product via rail? And the reason for that is that railroads have been regulated really from the beginning of railroads. The railroads were almost destroyed by regulation in the late 19th century, early part of the 20th century. And in some sense, have never really recovered. I mean, if we needed highways for the military to move, again, why not rely on rails? Because the rail system is not very good in the United States. It's not because of cartels. 
it's not because of anything to do with the marketplace. It's got to do with the way railroads were regulated from day one. The way railroads have basically been controlled by the government from day one. So, you know, it makes, uh, it, 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 it's hard to know how the United States would have developed without the highway system. And it's hard to tell, Danny McKiskey says Rothbard would disagree. Rothbard would disagree with much of what I say about pretty much every topic. So, not a good standard. So, um, hard to tell how the United States, from a development perspective, from an urban perspective, from a city perspective, from a uh, population growth perspective, would have evolved if we hadn't built the, the highway system. Okay, let me just say a few more things about California, and then see if there's any other questions related to this before we go on. One of the really sad things that you see in California... And, and really sad things that you see, to some extent, all over the United States, all over the United States. Thank you, Ryan. I will definitely, we will definitely going to build that studio. Um, is the lack of big projects, and when I talk about big projects, I'm talking about kind of civil engineering projects. Big stuff. Now, Ezra Klein, who is, you know, wants to see the, the, the government do more and wants to see the role of government expand and wants progressive politics to work, he complains about the fact that California cannot build high-speed rail. And it can't build high-speed rail. I mean, the obvious place you would want high-speed rail is between Los Angeles and San Francisco between Los Angeles and the Bay Area. And they can't do it. So they decided to build high-speed rail between two insignificant cities in the, middle of the, in the middle of California, Bakersfield and Merced. Nobody's going to use it. Nobody goes from Bakersfield to Merced or the other way around. I mean, they can't even build a high-speed rail from L.A. to Las Vegas, which I think would be heavily used. Why? Because of environmental regulations. Primarily. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. To, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Because of pressure groups who want a piece of it. Because not in my backyard. Because of a million different things. People don't want it to happen. And won't let it happen. And doesn't. It doesn't get built. So they can't even build from Bakersfield to Merced. They're trying. But that's way over budget. Way behind schedule. Rail could be cheaper and actually faster than airports. If you want to go from L.A. to Las Vegas, I often drive. um, Because I'd rather drive than fly. And if I could get in a train and a high-speed train... I mean, man, that would be nothing. That would be so fast. And without having the hassle of airport security and everything else associated with an airport, it would be amazing. Now, I often used to say this about, you know, um, traffic, for example. Why can't we solve the problem of traffic in, the, in, in California? Right? Why can't you have a tunnel? that takes people directly from Orange County to L.A. on a high-speed high speed highway that's under the ground. Why can't you build a tunnel through some of the mountains to get people from Riverside County to Orange County? This is just the stuff that I observed when I was living there. By the way, we've raised the Super Chat $154. That's about half of what we usually raise. Actually, more like a third of what we usually raise. So usually raise between 300 and 450. So you guys are being cheap today. What can I say? Right? So where are the tunnels? I mean, where I lived, there was this amazing private toll road that was great. It, it took me, when I used to work at the Ayn Institute, it took me almost, not all the way there, but a big chunk of the way there, no traffic. Speedy, expensive, but worth it. They wanted to extend it so that I could go the other way south towards San Diego. Couldn't do it. The environmentalists would not let it be built. Years and years of fighting and lawsuits and uh, committees and commissions. Couldn't get it done. Couldn't get it done. Now, or for example, during the drought, there are periods where there's a drought in Southern California. But there's often plenty of water in Northern California. In the old days, and I'm talking about the early part of the 20th century, you'd find ways to get water from Northern California to Southern California. Hell, Oregon has tons of water. You'd find ways to get water from Oregon to California. But nobody even thinks that way. You can't do civil engineering projects in the United States anymore. Big earth moving, mountain-scraping projects anymore because of environmental regulations. And California is at the forefront of that. At the forefront of that. So if California is the model that all Americans can see and all Americans can observe, is this a winning strategy? Are these the people who are going to govern this country 
are they going to win? Are they the people we should be so afraid of? I doubt it. I doubt it. There's only so many, you know, wealthy leftists who are happy to support losing causes over and over and over and over again. The country is not comprised of people like that for the most part. Now, it's true that the practical reality can only get us so far, and this is why we have to fight philosophically, we have to fight intellectually. The ideas that stand behind the left. But having an existential failure right here, right in our backyard, where everybody can see it, is certainly going to slow down their progress. So there's a sense in which the failure of California might help slow down the failure of the rest of the country. All right, let's see. Somebody says we should have had your aunt take his vitals to compare later on in the show and see if his health is deteriorating. Not my health, right? The, any sign of deterioration is a sign that my robust, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, um, See, I, I, I can't even... Words are not coming to me. The, the virus is already... The, the, anybody's already affecting my brain. But uh, the systems to fight off disease are robust and healthy, and therefore fighting the intrusion of the Moderna vaccine and spiking my fever and causing all these bodily aches. But that is the defense mechanism. That is the body in full force fighting a foreign enemy invasion. That is robust self-defense. Thank you, Jennifer. It's my immune system. God. It goes, starts with the brain. <sighs> yeah, Shazbud writes, My father is a retired civil engineer from New Jersey. He seems to spend much of his time dealing with wetlands issues. Yes. In, in much of the country, you deal with wetlands issues. In California, you deal with, uh, I don't know, dry land issues with desert rats, protected desert rats and worms and all kinds of things like that. And by the way, I don't know if you guys know, but I myself am a retired civil engineer. Uh, I was a civil engineer. My, My undergraduate degree is in civil engineering, and I worked as a construction manager for several years uh, in Israel. So uh, I have an affinity for building projects. Building projects. Uh, I'm going down the questions, Harold, so I, 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 should, I should get to it. Okay, Aussie economist I follow says reducing zoning restrictions won't improve supply because builders drip feed new houses to the market. Merit, you think? No, I mean, that's typical misunderstanding of how markets work. If you actually had robust competition, which you should have, right? Then let's assume that existing builders drip feed into the market. I would start a new construction company that came in and started providing large swaths of housing. And I would take significantly market share away from these people. Drive the value of existing housing down. Drive these drip feeders. They would... They would not survive. So competition drives down profit margins. Competition eliminates opportunities to, in a sense, exploit these kind of markets. It's exactly what competition does. 
it's a complete misunderstanding of competition and, and, and the way markets actually work. Uh, let's see. Uh, welfare is a benefit for poor people too. Who cares? Yeah, uh, my point was not who cares. You were saying that there are more poor people because they have to own a car or something to that extent, but maybe I misunderstood. And I'm just saying it, it's not clear that it, it, it could very well be with that, you know, cars benefit them more than they hurt them. So anyway, maybe I misunderstood your question. On the topic of activism around freeing up cities, would you consider interviewing with someone from the strong towns or market urbanism projects? I'll look at it and see what it's about. And, and uh, sure, I'd consider, you know, I'd consider interviewing somebody who's doing something innovative with this, in this regard. Um, yeah, I read that comment already. Um, I'm at a point where I don't recycle. Haven't for years. And I don't feel any guilt about it. Good for you. Um, it's all trash to me. So that's where it goes. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, if recycling made sense, they would pay you to do it. Indeed, the one form of recycling that makes sense, recycling of things like aluminum cans, they do pay you to do it. And, and if you, you know, put all your aluminum together in a box and took it over to the recycling, they'd pay you for it. Maybe plastic bottles... Like, people will collect plastic bottles out of the trash and go and get a little bit of money for it. But they don't pay enough money for me to do it. If they want my recycling, they have to pay for it. I'm not working for them. There's no problem of landfills in, the, in, in America. And if plastics land up in the landfill, then they don't land up in oceans. So the fishies don't die from the plastic if they're in landfills. So put them in the regular trash, and then they get trashed in the landfill. Uh, let's see. Why don't you like L.A.? Um, I don't like L.A. because, uh, I don't know, I think it's, it's mostly flat and ugly. It's, um, people are, tend to be obnoxious. Uh, What else about LA I don't like? There's no cohesion. There's like, there's no LA. There's this neighborhood and that neighborhood and that neighborhood. Some neighborhoods are wonderful and, 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 and really cool. And other neighborhoods are awful. And they might be right next to each other and you can't even tell the difference. So, um, I don't know. I, I, you know I, oh, traffic. Big part of it is just traffic. Traffic is just obnoxious in LA. And always and, and constantly and, and, and it's like it, there's no good time to other than maybe two in the morning and even then that's when they repair all the roads so you get traffic even then, traffic jams even then because they're, they're closing off roads and stuff. All right, we got two $20 questions so they get priority. If capitalism is about consenting, uh, exchange and government regulates non-consent, why can't government tax regulate bar harming the environment everyone has to live in especially people who water air property could be damaged well because i mean they can of course they can and they do and to some extent they should i don't think taxes or regulations but they can certainly ban 
but it's not ban ban it's not harming the environment. And one of the big questions to ask about the environment is what does the word actually mean? What does the environment mean? Because there is no such thing as the environment. There is my environment and your environment. There's a human environment. And if you want to protect the human environment, in other words, the air we breathe, the water we drink, the our environment, not the spotted owl's environment, but human environment, then the best way to protect it is through protection of property rights. Like, we know that you can't dump your garbage in my backyard. We know that. We've known that for a thousand years of common law. If you dump your garbage in my backyard, you're liable. You have to compensate me. Get rid of the garbage and you have to compensate me. Well, if we extended that principle to water, for example, if the rivers and lakes were private, then just you can't dump your garbage in my backyard. You can't dump your garbage on my property. You don't need any new laws other than the protection of private property. If you dump your garbage in my river, I'm going to sue you. And you will very quickly stop. And you can expand this to all realms. Now, air is a little bit more difficult because air is not private. But airspace is private. So, for example, right, if I live in a certain place and you want to build an airport where the airplanes are going to buzz above my head, well, I need to be compensated. There, there is such a thing as you're harming me. You're creating noise that I didn't reckon for. It's not that I move next to an airport. You're building an airport next to me. Right? And there is way. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You used to deal with those kind of things. Buy people out. You compensate them. You pay them. There are a variety of different methods in which we do that. We can apply the, the, the principle of property rights to them. And the same is true of air pollution. So if you take air pollution... If you spew something into the air that hurts me, that damages me, then again, I have a right to sue you. And the government, the government, the government 
can then pass laws. Once a certain chemical has been shown in common law to have damaged X number of people, the government can say, okay, this chemical is bad for you. You can't spew it out. You're violating people's rights when you spew it out. So laws that ban certain products being spewed into the air are completely legitimate. They just need to, we just need to make sure that they are objective. Objective. So it's not true that we believe, I believe, that government has no role in the issue of clean air and clean water. It clearly does. And look, as long as the government owns, quote, owns the water, it should be able to determine what goes in it and what doesn't. And it makes complete sense to not allow that water to be polluted just as if it was private property. So I think it does have a role. It's just a much, much, much more limited role, much more limited role than exists today, partially because today... So much land, so much property is owned by the government that it distorts it. But also because environment is being defined as all of nature. And therefore, anytime I want something I do impacts nature, impacts spotted owls, worms, rats, birds, whatever, the government intervenes. If we limit it to human beings, which is all we should really care about, then government has a role as a protective individual rights. That you don't do things that harm me. Thank you, Brian. Really appreciate it. But the problem is they don't limit it to that. They, they protect trees. They tell you whether you can chop down a tree in your backyard or not. On your private property. If you value desert rats, then buy a plot of land and have them on your plot of land. I hate desert rats. I am interested in killing every single one of them who steps on my land. That's illegal in California. Don't forget to like the show before you leave today. Don't forget to wait 150 views. Uh, I mean, people watching live right now and only two li- 92 likes. That should be well over 100. So please like the show. If you like it, of course, not asking you to do anything that you don't want. And of course, if you're not a subscriber, please subscribe. We're about... We're almost at the lower boundary of a typical show in terms of Super Chat, so please use the Super Chat feature to support the show. Um, What are your thoughts on living in British territories? How are they tax havens? Thoughts on the Isle of Man versus Jersey, other places? How much to watch a a documentary about UK becoming the finance hub of the world? Thanks. Um, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not an expert on tax havens. I don't know. I, I think Jersey and Alaman have very, very positive tax impacts, but I don't know the details and I don't know who they apply to and under what circumstances they apply. I, I mean, I can tell you about Puerto Rico, but I, I don't know much about uh, British territories. So I, I just don't know. Uh, how much to watch a documentary about UK becoming the finance hub of the world? I mean, generally, you know, for me to review something is 500 bucks. Um, but 
you know, so if you want me to review it, to, to do a show about it, or to do a segment of the show about it, that's how much it would cost. Um, but it, it's, an, it's a topic of interest to me, so I might watch it anyway. So if you want to send me a link, I'll try to watch it anyway. And if you send me a link with less than 500 bucks, even better, I might actually do a show given that it's interesting to me. Um, <laughs> so Daniel says, not sure I agree with you, California analysis. People are too stupid to link causation to the results of their policies. What say you? I mean, generally, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of truth to what you say. I often say that if people really wanted to go, um, uh, nobody's, <laughs> if people really wanted to, um, People wanted to see examples of the success of capitalism. It's all over the place. They, 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 you know, we would be, if, if that was the teacher, if reality was the teacher, then it would be all over. We would have won, right? So there's a sense in which I agree with you. It's not enough. But the fact that people like Ezra Klein are noticing this, observing this, are writing about it, are pointing this out, and that I think a majority of Americans are already inclined against the left anyway. I don't think the country is a leftist country. I think the country is on cultural issues, on culture, center left. But cent- uh, Well, no, sorry. On culture, I think the country is center right. And on, well, no. I think on culture, the country is center left. And on economics, I think the culture is, you know, somewhere in between. Right, right center. I don't know Max Kaiser, so sorry, Daniel. I don't know who Max Kaiser is. So I think there's a chance that people, when it's pointed out to them over and over and over again, you know, why do people vote leftist? I've, I've told you this. Because the left has the moral high ground. Because in a world of altruism, people will vote for those who have a, cons- a, a view that's most consistent with altruism, and I, I most consistent with sacrifice, most consistent with uh, serving the needy, most consistent with victimhood, and I think it's something that the right is learning. And what is happening with the right is what it's learning is not to try to change and shift the uh, morality of the of the of the country. What the right is learning is how to be victims. What the right is learning is how to put together programs for sufferers. What the right is learning is how to demand sacrifice. What the right is learning is how to demand altruism. So the right is shifting to where the right shifts if it wants to evoke the same kind of emotions that the left does with socialism. The right gets those emotions through nationalism community, taking care of people. And, and you can see Josh Hawley's proposals around supplemental income to low-wage Americans. So they're trying to capture the same idea by trying to capture the moral high ground. They're saying, oh, we figured it out. The left is more consistently altruistic, so we have to be even more consistently altruistic than them. 
And that's where the right is going. And that is going to be continuously a battle between the left and the right. As long as, as long as, altruism is just accepted. As long as nobody is challenging the morality of altruism. And that's really what we need to do. That's really where the essence of the, ba- uh, of the, of the uh, battle is. It's to convince people that altruism is the wrong moral, moral code. Ruth makes a comment, not a super chat. He should have done this at a super chat. I, I, it's easier for me to notice it. But he says, have you considered having a crowdfunding platform for shows? That way, instead of one person donating $1,000 for a show, we can gather donations from all supporters. Now, that's a really interesting suggestion. I'm trying to think how we would operationalize it. You would, somebody would have to come up with a proposal for a show and say, I'm going to donate $25, and then uh, other people would be able to donate at the same place. So it would have to be some... I wonder if there's a crowd source, uh, crowdfunding platform that makes that easy and maybe is connected to PayPal or to uh, Patreon. Maybe I wonder if Patreon has this facility. I don't think so. Anyway, that's a great idea. So let me... If you know, if anybody out there who listens to the show knows of a platform where we could use this easily, um, then um, that would be great, and I'll, I'll, I'll do a little bit of research around that as well. Yeah, I know there's a bunch of Super Chat questions that have been asked that I haven't gotten to. Uh, as, as you know, I start with the um, $20 or more, and then I look for ones on topic, and then I go in order. So we will get to everything. We will get to everything. So uh, anybody know of the platform? Let me know. Uh, it would be great to um, be great to do something like that. With the thousand dollars also only go when it's reached. When it's, it only goes to me, right? So all the everything's entered, everything's ready to go, and it, it kind of launches when you reach the critical mass. Um, Adam writes, are the figures about plants and people moving out of California, how much is mature businesses that move because they don't innovate anymore and don't want to pay the innovative premium? Isn't this a natural cycle in already innovated industries? I don't, I don't think that's true. I think to some extent that's true, but I think it's also a growing and thriving businesses. Uh, I can think in the financial sector, dimensional funds moved when it was still when it was thriving and growing and innovating and, and, uh, and it, we moved to Austin. Why be in California and pay the taxes? Why have your employees live with a kind of high cost of living when you can move to an innovative university-based city like Austin instead? Or, or look at Tesla moving more and more of its facilities out of California, even though it's not a mature business. Uh, look, at, look at Oracle. Um, there's a bunch of businesses. Now, Oracle is more mature, although... I don't think they think of themselves as mature. They think of themselves still innovating. I, I think you're going to see more startups outside of California. I think you're going to see more workers working outside of California, even if corporate headquarters is in California. There are still massive advantages, massive network effects, uh, network uh, uh, advantages of being in California. But those network effects are starting to be created in places like Austin. They used to exist in Boston, and to some extent they do primarily for biotech companies, but there was a, a technology 
And of course, you got MIT and Harvard and, and more universities in Boston than any other place. But uh, Boston's not exactly the, 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 the most entrepreneur-friendly place in the world. So Austin is growing. Uh, there are other places in Colorado and Arizona that are trying to grow as well. They don't have kind of quite the university system that Texas and, and California have. Um, but it's definitely the case that people, you hear more and more people um, in the prime of their careers, uh, people who are innovative, people who are uh, in technology or in other fields that are growing, moving out, moving out of California. So I don't have stats uh, to look at that, but uh, I, I, I don't think it's just mature industries moving out from the anecdotal evidence that I have. And from the fact that a lot of people are moving out of Silicon Valley. And, and it's understandable. The quality of life in California is low, given how much you can buy for a house, given, uh, given living in a place like San Francisco, given the homelessness problem and otherwise. It, it, this is a drag on quality of life that's going to have to have an impact. And taxes are a huge, big part of it. But uh, the homeless problem is a big part of it. Now, some people are just moving out of cities. So the one thing that has, is clearly happening in California is people are moving out of downtown L.A. and out of San Francisco and going into the suburbs that are cleaner and don't have homeless people in them or don't have as many. But now a lot of the people moving out of California are poor people. So uh, the non-innovators, a lot of poor people are moving out. And, and in terms of innovators... California probably still has a net plus, right? It's probably true that more smart entrepreneurial people move to California than move out of California. But my guess is the gap is growing smaller. So a lot of the, a lot of the poor and lower middle class are moving out of California because they can't afford it. Which will over time reduce the quality of life in California again because a lot of the services that they provide will, um, will disappear with them. And that'll start hurting the quality of life of the middle class and the upper middle class. So I think it's a complex picture. But I do think California is in trouble. I mean, the lockdowns were the worst in the country, among the worst in the country, uh, with and people could see that the results were not any better than, let's say, Florida, that had uh, that didn't have lockdowns. Um, and and then, you know, the craziness of of some of the mayors and some of the city councils around California. But it's still true, you know, that Silicon Valley and and other uh, centers of entrepreneurship around California. Are, are some of the most exciting, amazing places in the world. And, and you're going to have to have a lot more people leave before that changes. A lot more people. So people are going to make fun of California. People can put down California. But it's still not replaceable, and it's still amazing. Right? It, you know, we'll see how much a lot of people I know are moving to Miami. I, I know of at least one... Um, friend of mine who is a uh, very successful seed investor, venture capitalist, who moved to Miami, 
packed up his, he had a beautiful house in San Francisco. I mean, a beautiful, with a beautiful view. And, and he built it, he built it to spec, very narrow, high, because it was like an attached house. And he built a beautiful house, and yet he'd had enough, and he moved to Miami. Now, as a seed investor, I, I, it's not going to be the same. Yeah. It's still a tragedy what California has become. There's no question. Because it's such a magnificent place. All right. Uh, let's see. I think this is the only $20 question I had. Uh, thanks, Adam. Thank you. I really appreciate the support. Do you think cryptocurrencies represent a move towards freedom? Will India's Bitcoin crackdown be the first of many and will dog coin go to the moon? You know, I don't know. Uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, I, I'm, start, I, I'm trying to learn more about them. There's no question that they could be a move towards more freedom in a sense that, uh, I mean, but, but not, you know, they, they're just a move towards more efficiency, more productivity, cheaper transactions, um, cutting out middlemen. If you think about the amount of middlemen, the number of middlemen, lawyers, for example, in our economy and the drain on the economy of middlemen and accountants and, and, uh, and uh, what do you call it, uh, um, you know, signatories and, and just banks even in a certain function that they serve. There, is a, there should be a lot easier way to verify, validate, have smart contracts, that doesn't involve all these middlemen. And there is the real promise that, that cryptocurrencies can do that, right? That cryptocurrencies can achieve that. Um, and they can achieve it in a way that is secure and in a way that potentially, potentially, um, keeps them away from the eye of government, keeps our transactions away from the eye of government. But how it develops, how it evolves, the extent to which governments will crack down, to the extent that they're successful in cracking down, to the extent to which the industry is successful in going around, you know, finding ways around the government controls and the government regulations, is all yet to be determined. And to the extent that you can turn crypto, Bitcoin is expensive, and I don't mean it's expensive to buy Bitcoin, it's expensive to transact in Bitcoin. It's expensive to do deals in Bitcoin. So Bitcoin was a first mover, but it's not clear to me that Bitcoin will be the winner. First movers are not always the winners. So there's a bunch of factors that are going to go into the future of crypto, uh, the blockchain, how the blockchain is used, uh, that I don't know, and I don't know that anybody knows, but I certainly am not an expert in, not an expert in. I do think it's potentially a move towards freedom if it can really stay out of the reach of government. All right. Let's see. All right, we're at $350. Thank you, everybody. Really appreciate that. Now, another $100 will get us to close to kind of the what we need to do on our, every show to, to, to sustain the Iran book show. It should be somewhere around 450 to really um, to really 
keep us going. Don't forget that YouTube takes a cut, takes a cut of everything. Entrenched skeptics and altruists can never be persuaded. Their epistemology is too screwy. Can't set up a mechanism impervious to correction. Yeah, in that sense, that's right. I mean, if they're committed, entrenched, you call them, skeptics and altruism, you're wasting your time. Don't try. What you want are the non-entrenched, the open-minded, the open to persuasion, altruists and skeptics. But yes, the, the Kantian system is very, very powerful and, and very hard to penetrate. ARI is promoting OEC more, but they aren't the graduates of the last 10 years making more impact on the culture. So Mary and Epstein were 15 years ago. Yeah, maybe, but I mean, uh, Alex Epstein left um, the Ayn Rand Institute 10 years ago. Uh, you've got other people at the Ayn Rand Institute who are, who are graduates of the OEC, teaching in the OEC program, uh, and being impactful at the Ayn Rand Institute, helping shape the culture. Uh, you know, people like Ben Bear and Ilan Jono and, and, um, and Keith Lockich and uh, Aaron, Aaron uh, Smith and others. Uh, you've got many other OAC graduates who have gone on to various places where they are shaping the culture. You're just not seeing it. So, for example, do you know that the largest uh, company in the world, the largest Montessori company that owns Montessori schools in the world is owned and run by not one but several OEC graduates. Indeed, uh, from the uh, CEO to the, uh, those responsible for the curriculum and those, all the whole organization is is filled with OEC graduates. Um, a company that just sold their science curriculum um, had OEC graduates as part of it. Uh, and, and they sold it for, you know, they were very, very influential in science curriculum in schools. Uh, you've got others that are building up. I mean, Don Watkins is building up an audience and a following uh, on, um, on the Internet. And, of course, helps me in a variety of different ways and helps other people in a variety of different ways. And you'll be seeing more. Um, and there are many, many, many others who are out there that you just don't know of. But... You're not going to know of all the people working to change the culture because changing the culture is work that's done from multiple directions, multiple angles, multiple ways, multiple projects, some of which are visible to all of you, some of which are not. And then there's some people who are not, who are not interested in it at the end, not passionate about it, not motivated, maybe not talented enough to do it. Right? So... You know, I think, I think those people, and I know there's a, there's a lot of people out there, and I know there's, there's a, in some sense, an orchestrated effort to try to dismiss and to undermine, um, to dismiss and to undermine the, uh, the work of the Ayn Rand Institute, and particularly the OEC. I, I think you're making a huge mistake. The OEC has had and continues to have a massive impact on, uh, on the world, on objectivism, it, it just takes time to see it. You know of Alex and, uh, and Greg over the last few years, but I've known them for 20 years and have seen the development, have seen the contribution the Ayn Rand Institute made to their careers. 
and it takes a certain maturity. It takes a certain point in time when they can come out as, you know, prominent public intellectuals. And you're going to see more and more and more of those in the years, the months, the years to come, and the decades to come. And it, Tal, it's funny, the CEO, current CEO of the Admin Institute, wants to grow the OEC dramatically so that we get even more growth, even more intellectuals, and wants to help them do things like start YouTube platforms and do different public intellectual stuff. So you're going to see great growth in that area, but the only way you can get that growth today is because we trained people 10, 15 years ago so that they could be teachers today in the OEC so that we can attract two, three, four hundred students into the program. So you have to build. And building is often you're building foundations. And often those foundations are invisible. And you start seeing the first few floors and you go, what have you been doing all these years? Why do I only see two floors? Well, we've been digging foundations, building foundations, to build a skyscraper that will last generations. And you'll keep complaining about there were only two floors. And you've wasted all this time and wasted all this money. So, David writes, and I like this, if you, if you listen to the show as a podcast, and I know many of you are on there as podcast, listen to it as a podcast, please give it a rating on your podcast app. And if you can, please, please, it really helps, leave a review on whatever platform you're using. This really helps promote the show, it really gets new people. If you want to help change the culture, and I've said this, I've said this many times in the past, changing the culture is in your hands. I'm creating content. I think it's good content. You seem to think it's good content. You're supporting the show. You're listening to it. But what's important is to get this new content in new people. Now, I know we're getting it to some extent to new people because I see how many of you are new, how many of you have come on board, how many of you have been attracted by a variety of different means to here? So we're getting new people. But the only way to get more new people and grow this exponentially is for you to promote it. Now, I know some of you don't want like to share it or whatever. But there's simple ways to promote it. Like it. Rate it. Give it a rating on the, I mean, hopefully a five-star rating, on the podcast app. Write a review. These are the kind of things kind of things that are going to increase the visibility of the show. Get the platform that it's on better promoted. I mean, to promote the show better. So, I mean, the future of this show, the future of objectivism, the future of changing the world, the future of the world, and I'm not just saying my show is a you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What you do, how, how much you support the Ironman Institute, how much you support this show. How much you support uh, all the other objectivist intellectuals out there and all the other good material that's out there. So if you support all those things, that and, and supporting not just financially, I mean by liking, by sharing, by writing reviews, by giving it five stars. That's how, I mean, the left is very good at this. A new leftist book comes out, you get hundreds of reviews immediately. And objectivists are not good at this. They're not good at promoting the good. They're not good at promoting their own people. They're not good at sticking their necks out and promoting. You got to get better at it. Jeremy says, I'm getting great value from the OAC. It's helping me develop as a writer. Excellent. 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 We need more writers. Many, many more writers. Uh, Okay, $20 question. Hi, Yvonne. Regarding the John Mackey debate, the word only in the debate title seems a bit misleading. Would invoking hierarchy during the second debate be useful? Is it worth calling out John's definition of altruism? Um, I mean, there's a lot of things that you could do. Uh, the, the next debate is going to be different because the proposition will be different. The next debate, I will be defending the positive. And the positive is going to be the one and only purpose of business is to maximize long-term shareholder wealth. Now, I didn't exactly pick that proposition. It was picked for its marketing value. And the one and only is a term that Milton Friedman once used by saying the one and only social responsibility of business is to maximize profits. So they took that. Right. So I think this is a better proposition than the previous one. The previous one was kind of all over the place. I proposed during the proposition, but... I like only, because it is only. And, you know, now calling him out in his altruism, it's difficult because what are we going to now get into the semantics of what altruism means? Are we going to now get into the idea of, well, he means altruism just being nice to people, he'll say. But I know that really he means the sacrifice. You know, he's so... Wishy-washy, he's so slippery as all of these people, as all altruists are. And I'm not attacking John in this. It's just the way they think. I mean, he kept saying, oh, no, you can maximize everybody's well-being. I mean, that's just not true. I mean, it's as if there are no trade-offs in life. And that's just bizarre. So you have to calibrate in a debate like this what you're going to focus on. And what I want to focus on is the nobility, the beauty, the virtue of the profit motive. That profit is not a dirty word. That we should be embracing profit. We should be, we should be proud of profit. And I don't want to get into a debate about selfishness versus altruism. Self-interest versus altruism. I don't think it's the right place. I don't think he's the right person to debate it with. 
I think it'll bog down into, uh, well, that, you know, now we're just arguing about definitions. It'll go to, um, it, it'll go to uh, uh, strawmanning. He'll try to strawman my position and claim that I'm strawmanning his position. It's hard enough to debate shareholder versus stakeholder. You can't debate everything. And I know everything does boil down to altruism versus egoism. But it's a debate. It's supposed to stimulate. So I won the debate because more people shifted to my side. What does that mean? Why, why is that important? Because it means more people are likely now to say, huh, that guy from the Ayn Rand Institute, he seemed pretty smart. He won the debate. Maybe I should go read Ayn Rand. That's what you want from a debate. Or maybe I should read his books. Or maybe I should look him up at the Institute. Uh, up on the internet. Maybe I should look up the Ironman Institute on the internet. The purpose of the debate is not to win the argument. Let me say that again, because it's important that you evaluate all my debates based on this. The purpose of the debate is not to win the argument. That is to pound the opponent into dust. The purpose of the debate is to get the audience, not your debate partner, the audience interested in reading Rand, interested in looking you up, interested in subscribing to the podcast, interested in buying some books. And it wouldn't be a bad idea if John Mackey's respect for objectivism and objectivists and Ayn Rand generally was elevated. I think that would be a good thing for the world, even if he never agreed with us. If he took us more seriously, that would be good. So those are my considerations. And yes, you can dissect the debate after the fact and see all the ways in which I could have got him. But that's not my point. It's not the purpose of the debate. The purpose of the debate is not to do gotchas. The purpose of the debate is to intrigue the audience about a different point of view. Z400 Race 37 says that he found me through debate videos. Yeah, that's, that's my target audience. Not, you know, Mackie and stuff, right? So I, I don't think of a debate as trying to win. Think of a debate as trying to get the audience thinking and intrigued about Ayn Rand. In a respectful way that respects the fact that it's a debate about topic X and not about topic Y. Yeah, gotchas is the way everything holds today, but that's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in helping the audience explore ideas to help them move them towards discovering the truth. And It's good that egoism comes up. It goes that egoism comes up, but the debate is not about egoism. So it's good that altruism comes up, and I object to the term altruism, but it, it, that's not crucial. That's not the essence. All right, I answered that. All right, do you think that Spotify is hoping to eventually reduce Joe Rogan's influence? Also, is the left railing about kids in cages motivated primarily by altruism? Um, do I think Spotify is hoping to eventually reduce Joe Rogan's influence? No, I mean, I don't think so. I don't think they paid him $100 million dollars for him to lose. I think Spotify is interested in making money. And, uh, and, I, and I think they want 
they want his viewership to rise and they want to make money off of him. They want to make money off of him. Spotify is not primarily an ideological organization. I don't think the left is railing about kids in cages motivated primarily by altruism. I, I think the idea that kids in cages is a pretty nasty thing, putting kids in cages. So, you know, I, I, I have to admit that I'm on, the, I'm on the side of the media. You know, these are kids. What are they doing in cages? These are kids running away from really, really, really bad circumstances to try to make their life better by coming to America. How is that a bad thing? How is that a bad thing? But look, there's no question. It's not the motivation by altruism. They're trying to ignite your altruism. They're trying to appeal to your altruism by trying to... They want to couch every story in terms of victims. They want to couch every story in terms of suffering. So they want to highlight the suffering because then, justifiably or unjustifiably, you will feel for those kids. And that's what they want you to. And you will, if you're an altruist, you'll be willing to sacrifice for those kids. I believe America sacrifices when it says those kids home. And America gains when it allows them to come here and make a life for themselves. It's not, it's not clear that it's anybody's fault that they were born into poverty and born into violent cultures. It's, you know, the kids are coming here to better their lives. Isn't that a good thing? And, and you can't think that they're all criminals. So, no, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm on the side of the kids, right? If I was a kid, you, you know, I don't know about you. You can think for yourself. But if I was a kid, born in Guatemala, gang-ridden, you know, slum, I'd want to get out of there. And if I'd seen on TV or discovered... This land of opportunity, this idea of an American dream, this idea of success, right? then I would try to get over there, even if it meant climbing over a fence, digging a tunnel under it, spending a huge amount of money to people to smuggle me there, risking rape and theft and everything involved in that. I mean, these are courageous kids trying to make a life better life. Now, it's true that much of the violence in these countries is caused by the drug war, which we are instituting. So you want to you wanna reduce kid migration? You want to help Central American com- countries legalize drugs? Legalize drugs. There's a, there's a good one for the, for, the, for, the, for the right, right? What do you believe about government taxing, regulating, banning, harming the environment of people who didn't consent to what's being produced? Well, only if it's harmful to them. If you could show harm, then it's okay to ban a product. But why tax? Why regulate? If a product's harmful, ban it. But it better be harmful. 
to human beings. Nobody's advocating for legalizing murder, but we should legalize drugs. From foreign policy the other day, some people have called for using the military to take back the Middle East oil that were developed by Western companies and then nationalized by Arab governments. Yeah, I think uh, my understanding is that the right of nationalization was written into the contract that the companies agreed to. Is it the business of the United States military to take them from bad decisions? To save them from it? Well, I mean, you'd have to go and analyze that, right? Um, you know, were they, were those contracts, did that, was that actually specified in those contracts? Um, and secondly, are those contracts legitimate? Is it legitimate for government to have a contract like that? And if you think about Iran and Saudi Arabia pre-World War II and, and the first few years post-World War II, these companies were going into the desert and discovering oil, and then the king would come around and say, hey, that's my land. If you want to keep doing this, so I'll shoot you, sign this contract. Is that legitimate? No. So the bigger question, which I think is interesting and, and one needs to consider, is under what circumstances should the U.S. intervene militarily to protect the property rights of businesses? Under what circumstances, in what context, in which places in the world? And I don't have, I don't have um, a clear answer for that. I, I, I'm not sure. It strikes me that given oil in the Middle East, given the importance of oil, the context of its finding, the context of the countries that nationalized it, that it would have been appropriate then for the United States to go in and do, and do it. But that doesn't mean every U.S. company. Although, by the way, if you did it then, it would be a lot less likely that any country would ever nationalize any American company, right? Once you did it once, they'd learn the lesson. So I do think in the case of oil, it was legitimate to do because these were not real countries, because they couldn't really defend themselves, so it would be relatively cost, low cost, and because of the importance of oil as a resource. Um, and then that would have sent, I think, a message to the rest of the world, don't mess with American companies. I don't think um, uh, NASA would have nationalized the Suez Canal if before that the U.S. had stood up to the Saudis and the Iranians for nationalizing oil if I'm getting the dates right. The Suez Canal nationalization, I think, was, 50, was 56. I think Saudi Arabia and Iran nationalized it all before that. How can it, how can it be not be good to, to legalize narcotics? How can it be right for the government to ban a substance? whose use is voluntary. Not a substance in the air that you're forced to breathe, but voluntary. The Swiss Canal was British and French. And indeed, the British and French 
fought for it. So they uh, paratrooped troops into the Suez Canal and took the Suez Canal from the Egyptians and held it. And they actually coordinated it with the Israelis who took the Sinai Desert at the same time. And then Eisenhower forced them all to go home and recognize the right of the Egyptians to nationalize all these resources. And it was over. At that point, any country could nationalize any British or, or, or European property, and they got a thumbs up from the Americans, and it was, it was done. So forget about that as a foreign policy principle. We are not uh, utilitarians. Uh, the issue of drug legalization is not an issue of how does it work. I, I, you know, that's not the relevant issue. The relevant issue is does the government, in its role of protecting individual rights, have any role to play in banning substances? And the answer is no. And let the chips fall where they may. Now, I happen to think that they will fall in a pretty good place but because the mall is the practical but. All right, uh, let's take these few last questions. Of course, you can always continue to contribute. I think we've reached 450, which was the goal, was it? Did we reach 450? 450 is like the goal every show. No, we're at 412. So if somebody wants to throw in 38 bucks, that'll be fantastic because that, that will reach a goal. Can you show us pictures of what you built? Uh, also, did your buildings reflect the spirit of hard work? No and no. I mean, I built what I was told to build. I, I, I was not an architect. I didn't design the buildings. I, certainly, I didn't design them architecturally. I might have done some design of structural stuff, but I, I built... I mean, I was involved in the building of the first Intel headquarters, Intel, the chip company in Israel. We built the first clean room in Israel. That, that was Intel. That was in the mid-1980s, uh, the early 1980s. Um, I was involved in building homes and I, I built a sewage, um, uh, you know, pipe, uh, a factory. But these were all civil engineering projects. They were not, um, they were not, uh, what do you call it, architectural projects. So they're not relevant to how it worked. I, I built them with integrity in the sense that I hope they won't fall down. David, thank you for bringing in the $38, but I think everybody else together, we're, we're over 450 So thank you, everybody. We, we made the target and a little bit above that. So thanks, Daniel. Thanks, David. Um, and let's see. And thank you, Paul. Thanks, Joe Bidem. Let me take Joe Bidem's question, even though it's not a $20 question, because it's relevant. How do you justify legalizing drug in most Schedule II drugs are harmful to humans, but then say if something is found to be harmful, the government should regulate or maybe I misunderstand? If, somebody is, if something is forced on you and is found to be harmful, like you're spewing it into the air, and I'm breathing that air. I, I don't have a choice not to breathe the air. I have to breathe. And your stuff is in the air, and you didn't ask for my permission to put it in my air. That's the stuff the government should ban. But if I go to you and buy the stuff, then it's none of the government's business. I chose to hurt myself. The government is not in business from saving me for myself. So the government 
is there to protect my rights, which can only be violated by somebody imposing themselves on me by force, which was what a polluter does when they're clearly spewing stuff into the air that's harmful for human health. But, yeah, I mean, uh, some people think meat is bad for you. You know, ban meat. I mean, I think sh- sugar, certainly in the quantities that it exists in many soft drinks, is bad for you. Should we ban sugar? No, I mean, the standard cannot be what's good or bad for you as long as you get to consume it voluntarily. So, again, the issue is the volunteer nature of it. You can commit suicide. Thomas wants the Tuscanini show. I still have to finish the book. The book is long, and I haven't done a road trip in a long time. But I, I, to listen to it, I'm listening to it my, with my wife, so we have to do a road trip together. Uh, but I will get to it. And, um, yeah, and I haven't gotten to the part of the book with the best Tuscanini stories. So, which are the kind of the, the World War II stories, are the best Tuscanini stories, that are not related to his, well, really not related so much to his conducting, but related to, um, um, related to his politics. Um, all right. I, this is a $20 question, over $20, 25 I'm reading Hugo in an objectivist book club. Someone said Ayn Rand did not like Hugo, but I read the Romantic Manifesto years ago, and I thought she put him at the top of the Romantic literature. She loved Hugo. I don't know who said she didn't like Hugo. She loved Hugo. Not only she thought he was the greatest author ever, but he was her favorite author. So not only did she like him, she loved him. Another great show you're on. If you're a fan of Faulty Towers, then you may like The Fall and the Rise of Reginald Perrin. I'll have to look for that. Thank you for the recommendation. And I am a fan of Faulty Towers, particularly of the show The Germans, the, the episode about the Germans. That was a good one. Oh, by the way, I, I know I owe two movie reviews. I'm way behind, and I apologize. It, it, I will get to it, I promise. I, now I have a second movie review. Uh, somebody gave me $500 to review Contact, but I also have to get to a review of Real Genius. So I... I I've got real genius and contact. I will get to them. I promise. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, it's called The Spider's Web, um, Britain's Second Empire. Oh, this is documentary. So you're going to give me the $100? You said you'd give me $100 to do it. So I'll, I'll take it. I'll, 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 because it's a topic of so much interest to me, then I will do it for 100 bucks. Man, I'm so insistent on the money. It's terrible. Not terrible at all. Um, all right, we, we made it to over $500, so thank you, everybody. That's, that's, a, 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 that's great. And with nobody giving like 250 bucks or 200 bucks, we made it to 500 bu- bucks with, I think, Adams was the largest contribution of $50. That's ter- terrific. That means a lot of different people gave uh, a, a lot of you know, small contributions that add up to a terrific amount. So thank you. Thank you, Daniel, who contributed quite a bit to the show. Thank you, Thomas, who did the same. Um, it's, it's great. Thanks, guys. All right, three more questions. Ordinary life topic. Am I a snob for lampooning AOC being a bartender? Even though she had a college degree, a bartender requires no college degree. I, I don't know if snob is the right question. I, I, 
I generally don't think you should be lampooning AOC. I think she's incredibly, uh, I think she's smart, and I think she is a excellent advocate for evil position. So I don't think the right approach with AOC is to lampoon her. I think the right approach with AOC is to show how evil her ideas are. Can we get Lin-Manuel Miranda to do a hip-hop musical of the Fountainhead? I think young people would love it. Yeah, but would they get the Fountainhead out of it? Right? That is, did everybody watching the, the musical of the Founding Fathers actually get the virtues of the Founding Fathers out of it, even though the lyrics were pretty good? To what extent did that sink in? I don't know, but yeah, I, I think it would be interesting. Will California break off from an earthquake and float away? I've heard the rumors many times before. I think that's in Superman 1 or Superman 2, the old Supermans. That theory doesn't look likely to happen. Is English an objectively superior language to others? If so, by what standard? I think, I don't know, because I don't know enough languages, but I'm told that it's, it's a good language to articulate complex ideas. It's, it's kind of an evolved language. It took elements from a lot of different languages. So it's in that sense, it's, it's superior because of the way it evolved from many different languages, taking the best and being used for things like business and science, because England was very much a business and science place. So I think in that sense, it's very rich and it's very oriented towards a this world, this world. It, it, it evolved. I mean, if you, and it evolved massively. If you look at like the English of Shakespeare and the English of today, I mean, it's a big difference. And it evolved during a period in which the British Empire became an empire of business and an empire of science. And, and I think that's important because those concepts really developed. It's a very dynamic language, very rich language, very practical language. All right, everybody, uh, so far, I don't think I have a fever. I'm not boiling over uh, normal, normal pulse. So it appears like so far, what is it now? Yeah, it's now eight hours. I, I you know, really should have, it, it, I should have been sick by now, I think, if I was going to get sick. So let's hope, let's hope, hope, hope is useless, but I hope that I will not get the side effects other people have got. I'm not going to get the chills. I'm not going to get a fever. I'm not going to get flu-like symptoms. I am going to just be fine. Everything went to my um, nausea, and other than that, I'm okay. And actually, probably the thing that kept me from being sick, the thing that kept me from being sick was you guys because adrenaline flows through my body, will cure pretty much anything. And you guys supplied me with that adrenaline. So thank you. Uh, next show is probably not going to be until Sunday. I am traveling Thursday and Friday. I'm giving a lecture tomorrow at Cornell University. I mean, by uh, Zoom. Yesterday, by the way, I gave a lecture at NYU. Very, very, had a lot of fun on that one. It was very, very fun. It was a class uh, as part of the, uh, uh, I think, MBA program. So graduate students. You should, yeah, they were pretty surprised by a lot of what I said. It was excellent. Uh, tomorrow I'm doing law students, maybe some business students, but mainly law students. Thursday I'm flying to Connecticut. Friday I'm teaching in Connecticut. I won't get home until 
1 a.m., I think. And then Saturday, I'm doing a seminar uh, with, with a bunch of objectivist intellectuals. Sunday. Oh, Sunday, we've got Brad Thompson. Sunday, we've got Brad Thompson, guys. So Sunday, Brad Thompson. Uh, don't miss the Sunday show, 3 p.m. Eastern time. On Sunday with Brad Thompson, I think you'll really, really enjoy it. We're going to talk about BAP. BAP. Bronze Age Pervert. And the new right. I'm not staying at Peter Schiff's. I'm staying at a hotel at Hartford, Connecticut. It is what it is. What can I say? Bye, everybody. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.